The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. This is on. This is pretty loud, huh? It's a little loud. I can hear myself. <laughs> this better? Can you hear? Okay. So, um, yeah, I want to encourage everyone who has any uh, interest and in, uh, is available on Saturday to uh, come to hear uh, Ajahn Jeff uh, talk on, what is he talking about? Ro- romantic, romancing in the Buddha. It's like... Buddhism and romance, I don't know. (laughs) So I'm fascinated to see what he has to say. I'm going to talk about suffering. (laughs) So, um, also, if anyone has any comments or questions, I'm happy to let this be uh, an exchange of ideas. I'm not an expert on anything. So, uh, Andrea asked me to fill in for her. Uh, do you know where she is, Maureen? Did she? She's at IMS. She's at IMS. She's in Massachusetts. Yes. Okay. So I'll be here for a couple of weeks. Am I here next week? And the week, uh, the next three weeks. <laughs> I've lost track I've, of. Uh, my calendar. Anyway, uh, tonight what I wanted to do is I wanted to talk about um, I wanted to talk about something that's been referred to um, as defilements of the mind, and <laughs> and uh, in the West. It's, we don't necessarily take so well to the idea that the mind is defiled. Uh, so I want to give another way to uh, approach this, and, and it's the, the qualities of mind, those mind states and tendencies and habits uh, that obscure us from being able to see things um, as they really are. So the defilement of mind is uh, when, uh, when we are looking at things with what's, what would be a wrong view, when we're not actually understanding the experience that we're having. So um, right view in this way would be to see things as they really are, rather than through the filters of these defilements or obscurations. So the Buddha says in the Nguttara Nikaya, mind by nature is radiant and pure. It is shining. It is because of visiting forces known as the kalesas or defilements or obscurations or torments of mind that we suffer. So um, these these obscurations or these defilements are are habitual, reactive um, 
ways that we meet our experience. Um, uh, They arise in reaction to some object being known wrongly. So thus, we have wrong view. So we have an experience, we meet this experience through this, this filtering mechanism, which is the habit of our mind uh, that we've cultivated over our entire life. And um, we don't actually recognize that we're not seeing things clearly. So I'll give you a very simple example. Um, an obscuration of mine would be the, the arising of anger in the mind or uh, jealousy or some powerful emotion that sort of throws us for a loop. It's the place where we sort of rub against our experience and we resist it or reject it. And um, what happens is that we experience anger and instead of recognizing that anger has arisen, we get angry. We think that we're an angry person. We think that... um, We think that um, there's something wrong with us or generally something wrong with with the situation that we find ourselves in that's causing us to be angry. And we don't recognize that what has happened is that anger has arisen. Anger is a completely natural response in life. But we identify with this anger and we lose ourselves in it. So I was having a conversation with a friend be- before this talk, and we were talking about as we meditate, the mind will sometimes move off into thinking. And uh, we just sort of spin off and we get lost in our thinking. And when that happens, we're literally lost in thought. We're not meditating anymore. We're simply just lost in thought. Has that ever happened to anyone? (laughs) However, when we see with right view, or with, in this case, let's say, when awareness, when we connect with that quality of awareness, which knows lost in thought, we're no, we're no longer lost, and it's no longer a problem. We're meditating again because we know what's happening. We're seeing with clarity the truth of our experience, and we don't have to resist it any longer. Does that make sense? This is a really important thing to get because when anger arises and we don't know that anger has arisen, when we just react in our habitual way to anger, we go off on some, you know, we go off on ourselves or we go off on someone else and we're literally lost in anger. 
and we're caught. And we, this happens to us over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And some people, most people, spend their entire lives being lost in thought, lost in anger, lost in jealousy, lost in, you know, bliss, lost in wanting, lost in not wanting, lost in not knowing. This is, this is exactly what happens. And so to cultivate the quality of um, uh, awakeness or awareness that recognizes what's going on helps us to see these obscurations for what they are. And by doing that, we don't necessarily... um, We're not necessarily no longer subject to these things arising in our life, we, we may still have, we may still notice that anger comes and goes. We may still notice that sadness or grief or whatever comes and goes. We may still notice that we just simply can't resist the second piece of key lime pie. You see, it's not the pie, it's the wanting, the needing that may still come. But once we see what's happening, um, there's a beginning of a change, a movement. Once something is seen clearly, we're no longer lost in it. Make sense? Yeah, we're no longer lost in it. So if if we just look at at these habits that obscure us, there's a number of things that generally will be present. We can, not that you can like, every time something happens, you go down a list, but if you reflect on some of these things, you'll see that um, many times, um, as I said, it's, it's an unskillful, habitual, reactive kind of quality that comes up when we get lost in, whatever it happens to be. But sometimes these, these um, obscurations or defilements, they're fueled by um, restlessness or an aimless activity of the mind or a narrative of my story. Oh, I'm, the, I'm this, I always get angry. I always, how can I be so stupid? I always do the same thing over and over again. You see, so we listen to that voice inside of us, and that that critic inside of us is generally pretty darn hard on us, and we we just believe that story over and over and over again. So we get lost, and then there's some narrative around it. There's generally some comparison that's going on, and um, and then there's we just believe it. We just we don't even get the idea that this is just a construct of mind. We just fall for it over and over again. So sometimes if you look and and see whether there's this quality of restlessness or um, you know aimless activity of mind that's just sort of driving you. I don't know if I'm the only one that's ever had that, but I de- definitely. <laughs> guilty as charged. Um, These 
these obscurations are always accompanied by ignorance and delusion, by not knowing that that's what's going on. That's what we mean by ignorance and delusion here. It's like we get lost and we don't know we're lost because we're actually lost. And it's not until who knows what happens that the mind remembers. And um, that which remembers is this quality of awareness that already knows. So um, one of the ways that I think about this is that I don't have to worry about whether I'm breathing or not breathing. I'm breathing. Since we've been sitting in this room, we've all been breathing, whether we've been aware that we're breathing or not. However, the moment we remember, awareness knows that we're breathing. It's the same thing with walking. If you put one foot in front of the other, you're going to walk. I don't have to think. I wonder if I'm walking if I put this foot in front of the other foot. And, and because awareness knows, there's some quality of trust that allows me to put one foot in front of the other and walk where I want to walk. You see, so this ability to trust in the, um, the this knowing quality, um, it takes a little bit of practice when when we're dealing with stronger when we're dealing with emotions and things that throw us for a loop and get us lost. I mean, everybody sort of assumes that they're breathing. If you ask, you can sort of get that. But we don't always know the difference between when we get lost in anger and when we just know that anger has arisen. So the point that I'm trying to make, and I'm being rather circuitous about it, is that anger, it's not by bringing awareness to anger that anger disappears it's simply that anger is known. Get it? This is really important because many of us, and this is part of what we would talk about if, we, if I was teaching a compassion, if this was a compassion class, is that people will we have the tendency to want to go to that point of reconciliation and relief from that which is causing us to feel stress, that place of stress within us, that place that we reject because it's uncomfortable, we feel uncomfortable there. Or it's just damn unpleasant, you see. But it's, by, it's not the place of reconciliation where compassion appears. Compassion, uh, one may feel compassion and there may be a reconciliation and relief, but there may not be. Compassion is being able to be at that place where the rub is and hold your seat and not abandon yourself. So I'll give you an example. If you were sitting with someone that you loved 
who was terminally ill and going to die. Being with them with this quality of compassion does not mean that they're not going to die. They are going to die. They know they're going to die. You know they're going to die. And they do die. But compassion gives you the strength not to bolt because it gets too scary. You see? And it's the same quality that awareness gives us when we're able to sit with the fact that anger has arisen and we're experiencing anger. Knowing that anger or whatever calaces or torment of mind has arisen um, allows us to accept it without allows us to accept the truth of what has arisen, even if it's difficult, without abandoning it. This is, this is a really important um, point, or at least it was in my, my own experience, because I spent a lifetime running away, rejecting, denying, turning away from those experiences that made me feel uncomfortable, frightened, scared, vulnerable, all the things that people don't like to feel, you see. And so <clears throat> at a certain point I was, uh, I was meditating and I was having an experience of feeling kind of um, isolated and alone and then it turned into a nice juicy story and I was suddenly alone in all the universe and etc., etc., etc. And then there was this, this difficult feeling, this really unpleasant feeling. It felt alone. And, and I realized that, that what had happened was that I abandoned myself at that place of difficulty. It wasn't that other people had abandoned me. It was that I abandoned myself. It was too uncomfortable to be there. So this, and so I built a nice story up about, it wasn't really a nice story. It was a pretty painful story, but I told myself this story over and over and over and over again, you know. And this feeling is not unique to me. I'm not the only one in this room that's ever felt alone. I'm quite sure of that. But to realize that it was myself abandoning myself or that I was simply abandoning this place of difficulty and that was exacerbating this feeling of vulnerability and isolation. You see? So... I can give you another simple example. I'm getting really agitated, and my friend here says, oh, there's nothing to get upset about. Don't get upset. It's like throwing gasoline on the fire, right? I just want to smack him. This is wrong view. This is a kalesa. This is a defilement of mind. This is not seeing clearly what's going on. And so it's really important to know that um, inside of all of us, there's 
I don't want to be a hyperbolic, but there's luminosity and light, and there's also shadow and darkness. And it's the whole package. That's, that's what it's like to be a human being. So when we open our heart and we activate compassion, you see, it's not just these wonderful, beautiful qualities of compassion and love that will come out. It's all the crap that's been in there that we're guarding against, we're holding ourselves at bay against. You've seen all the feelings of self-doubt, self-hatred, criticism, meanness, pettiness, all that stuff is in there, you see. And compassion allows us to be with the truth that that's as much a part of us as these qualities of love and beauty and kindness and generosity and all of those wonderful qualities that we all like to think of as how we are. And it is how we are, but not all the time and not exclusively. And so this is really important. So when we think we're one way or another exclusively all the time, we're in ignorance and delusion. So the kalesas will always be accompanied by ignorance and and delusion. And... um, Ignorance of not knowing requires awareness to know. So if we're ignorant of something and we don't know, in order to know, we have to be aware. We have to cultivate this quality that's already there of knowing that the next breath is going to come and the breath after that's going to come until no more breath comes and we exit the body. So we're all aware, we're just not always aware. And by cultivating this quality of awareness, so that it's almost like connecting the dots, so that there's a more continuous ability to be aware of what's actually happening. Oh, I'm noticing that the the breath is breath is coming. Or if I asked you to please bring your attention, let's try this. Bring your attention to the contact of your feet on the floor or the weight of your body on the cushion or the seat that you're sitting in. Can can everyone do that? You see? So Okay, and now you can come back from our little experiment. (laughs) So, from the moment you sat down, awareness knew that contact, you see? You just weren't aware that you were aware of it until we did this little experiment together. So the... and. I mean, I don't know how aware we can be of every single thing, but the more we practice being aware of what's going on, the more we will recognize what's truly happening when it's happening. So 
this is what we want to try to do in order to recognize what obscures the mind, what these, these, these um, defilements are. The kalesas is what, what they're called in Pali. So, um, delusion of knowing wrongly requires insight wisdom in order to see correctly. So, a simple example again is you're lost in anger or you know that anger has arisen. That's all that means. Once you know with awareness what's going on, you're not in ignorance any longer. So when um, these kalesas are accompanied by attachment, when we get hooked by them, and we cling to them, they oftentimes will manifest as clinging or attachment or entitlement. And um, when they're accompanied by feelings of, you know, wanting them to go away, aversion, rather than clinging to them, they'll often manifest as like, a, uh, like violence. Like, uh, if not actual physical violence, it can be psychological or verbal blo- uh, violence, rage, anger, hatred, that kind of stuff. And um, these things become, when we internalize them, they become really oppressive. They really um, throw us for a loop. And if we're given to being frustrated, we'll get way more frustrated. If we're given to being depressed, we'll be way more depressed. If we're given to despair or self-pity or feeling like a victim, we're going like, to go for a real ride. So, um, and uh, also with aversion, if we're pushing them away, if we're trying to like keep them as far away from us as possible, they'll manifest as things like um, impatience or disdain, you see, or complaining or fear or irritation, irritability. So these are the aversive kinds of uh, ways that we, uh, are, that we can recognize the kalesas when, when we're aversive to these kinds of things. So there's a few ways that we can work with these. And I, I heard a talk recently, I was up at Spirit Rock, and I heard a really beautiful talk by uh, a teacher who was uh, teaching a, a retreat up there. And he's got these six ways here that I've, I'm going to share with you. Um, and uh, for some reason, they all be the words that all begin with R's. So I don't know if this is some little formula he had or not. But uh, he said the first thing is that we recognize them. So um, when we recognize the kalesa is present or this obscuration is present, we're actually sort of coming out of the enchantment that we have with the narrative that we've been telling ourselves. You see? So I'm an angry person. I've always been an angry person. I'll always be an angry person. And 
that's all there is to it. And we just believe it. And so there you are. We're enchanted by our own story. So we, we sort of come out of this enchantment with this. The next thing, and this is so important, is to relax. To relax, to relax, to relax. To be human is to be everything, including angry. And so if we notice that anger is there, or I'm using, I'm beating anger up tonight here, but um, whatever it is, if we notice that it's there and we just can relax around it, um, you know, we can begin to see that that anger is there and we can begin to accept that for the time being, this is the way that things are for me right now. That's all. You know, you, you're not going to be angry for the rest of your life. You weren't angry for the <laughs> whole beginning of your life and you're not going to be angry for the whole rest of your life. So you can just begin to relax around it. And this is really important because to be able to accept this is an act of self-compassion. It's an act of self-kindness. It's a real act of self-care. It's not demanding that that which we don't approve of, which we don't like in our experience, has to change. It has to change because it's not, it may not change. It may not go away, you know. And what can we do if it doesn't? Does that mean we're going to be miserable for the rest of our life? Well, it does mean we'll be miserable if we fight it for the rest of our life. But if we can relax around it, we have a much better chance to deal with it. So the third thing is to uh, restrain from acting out the mental, uh, mental state. So don't indulge the story. I'm an angry person. I've always been an angry person. I'll always be an angry Don't indulge it. Don't indulge it. Okay, now hold the thought there because now I want to read you. Um, I didn't know where I was going to put this, but I really wanted to wrap this into tonight. This is a Native American Cherokee story. And it's maybe some of you have heard this story, and if you have, I'm sorry, you're going to hear it again. It's called Two Wolves. One evening, an old Cherokee told his grandson about a battle that goes on inside of every person on earth. He said, My son, the battle is between two wolves inside of us all. One is evil. It is anger, envy, jealousy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. The other is good. It is joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, 
empathy, generosity, truth, faith, and compassion. The grandson thought about this for a moment and then asked his grandfather, which wolf wins? The old Cherokee simply replied, the one you feed. So I love this story because it's what we indulge is what we're all cause and effect. If we indulge the angry wolf, that's what we're going to get. And if we indulge the other wolf, we'll get a, a different result. And so that's one way to look at this story, which is a beautiful story. And the other way that I love is that the truth of nature is that both wolves reside inside of us all. And for us to only want the good wolf is to be deluded. We're not just the good wolf. We're, we're everything. Thank goodness we can know that. So, don't act out the mental state and don't indulge in the story of it. Restrain yourself. The next um, recommendation he gives is to reframe your experience, whatever it happens to be. And he says that this is an opportunity to develop awareness and to recognize that, that um, whatever's happening is not an obstacle to your awareness. You see, anger isn't an obstacle to us being aware. That can be part of the story we're indulging, you see. Anger is simply another thing to be aware of. Like love is another thing to be aware of. Happiness is another thing to be aware of. Generosity, compassion, truth, empathy. That's just one more thing to be aware of. So to, to refrain, reframe your experience so that you can begin to see this is just another way that I can cultivate this quality of awareness, this quality of knowing. And um, it's a little bit tricky to talk about it because it sounds like we're doing something, like we're learning to be an observer or something. It's not that. It's not like we're observing. It's like we're resting in that quality that already knows. You see, you all already know. You are all already aware of what it feels like to have your feet on the floor. You all know what it's like to feel angry. You all know what it's like to feel like you're inside of a body. You all have a global sense. Close your eyes and try to just get a global sense of what it's like to be in, in your own body. You see, awareness knows what, that's, what that quality is. We, we know this. this is, we don't have to try to learn this. We're not trying to make something happen or fix something that's broken. All we're trying to do is is become aware of this quality of awareness. 
this gift of awareness. What a, what a precious gift it is to be aware. You know, without awareness, we, <laughs> I don't know what we would be. We would be lost in thought and anger and everything else. What a precious gift awareness is. So <clears throat> the next thing is to receive. And he said to receive the nature of these obscurations um, are to be received with kind of um, relaxed interest. Instead of fighting with our experience, we just get interested. What's actually happening? So this is, this is interesting because sometimes... Um, whoops. Are we all right? Yeah, good. Because sometimes uh, we think we don't... Uh, we've sort of lost our connection with this quality of awareness. And sometimes we have, but we can always just drop this question into whether we're meditating or just in our day-to-day experience. At any moment we can say, what is being known right now? What is being known right now? You see, maybe what's being known right now is sound. Maybe what's being known right now is an aching knee. Maybe what's being known right now is sight. You see? You just ask yourself what's being known. And it's a way to bring you back and to connect with this quality of awareness. It's a way, it's not like you're trying to make yourself be aware. You're just trying to remember that awareness is there. And that, re- that quality of remembering is what will connect us with that awareness. And it's that awareness that will lead us to liberating insight. It will lead us to understanding and right view that will then open the door. Uh, it's the gateway sort of to insight. So... Uh, another thing that you can you can um, receive in this receiving piece is you can look at what your relationship is with the object of your awareness. You see, so if you have a pain, you're you're sitting in meditation and you have a pain in your knee. You see, there's the pain in the knee, and then there's the relationship that you're having with this pain. I hate this pain. I want this pain to go away. Or why me? Why do I have to have this damn pain? Etc., etc. So you look at your relationship with this. This is a good one because, you know, let's say you're at work and you have a, you know, a contentious exchange with somebody at work and um, those things come and they go and we never even... You know, we just get lost in them and we grumble and they ruin the rest of our afternoon. And then when we, the next time we meet this person, there's this feeling of some distance and so on and so forth until it all eventually fades away because something else has come and rubbed us the wrong way and we're reacting to that. So um, what is the relationship we have with the object of our awareness? And um, what's the attitude of mind that we're bringing to this? Are we 
you know, are we judging ourselves? Oh, why, why do I do this all the time? Or why me? And so on and so forth. So it <clears throat> helps us to begin to see what's really going on. It helps, helps us to begin to see that below the story, the details of the story, that contentious exchange that we had with the colleague at work, there's this feeling, this experience, this meeting of this place of rub, this defilement that has arisen, this obscuration that has arisen. And, um, you know, when you have a contentious relationship with someone and you have a contentious relationship with someone and I have a contentious relationship with someone, the details of your exchange and your exchange and my exchange are all different. But that feeling of contention, this is common humanity. This is how we can know one another at this very deep level. This is what this is very intimate, actually. This is how we become friends to ourselves and to one another. We can connect. And also, um, it helps me to be with my difficulties when I can recognize that other people... It's not that, that other people have the same kinds of things. Let me finish my thought. Um, it's not like misery loves company, but... It helps me to be able to bear with the difficulty of being with my own anger or my own fear or my own shame or whatever it happens to be. When I recognize this is a human quality, this is what we all, there's not a person in this room or (laughs) in this city or state or country or planet that doesn't experience this. This is just part of being human. Just like these qualities of generosity and empathy and kindness and compassion are also part of being human. It's also what connects us as a human family. It's also how we sort of expand the field of our compassion and our generosity and or our anger and our greed and our what, all of those other, that other wolf that we don't like to, we see that other wolf in Washington and places where they're making politics and so on and so forth. But, but, so, receive what is being known, what's our relationship, what's our attitude about the object that is being known. And then the last uh, reminder he gives us is to realize that the universal characteristics of the obscurations or the kalesas, he calls them torments of mind, that they, they have these, in Buddhism, the three characteristics are um, impermanence, non-self, and suffering. And that all of these these defilements 
have these characteristics. They're all insubstantial. They're all unsatisfactory. They're all conditional. They're all impermanent. We're never just always one thing or another. These things change constantly. So um, these are ways that we can come to recognize. These are some of the tools that we can use to come to recognize when these kinds of um, experiences arise in us that they help us to have right view. And in, in this case, what I mean by right view is seeing things as they actually are. So um, this might have been a little bit... <laughs> this wasn't exactly romantic Buddhism, but uh, uh, I want to ask if anybody has any comments or questions Yes. The mic. Thanks. Speak really right into it. And I have a bit of a hearing problem, too. I would love to have a copy of your two wolves and run run upstairs and make copies for whoever wants to have that. I sure would like to take it. Isn't that a nice story? Yeah. Yeah, that's a nice story. I love that story. I'd go right do I'd go make copies right now if you would let me. <laughs> Especially if it's if you have cop if you if we I could make copies. Hopefully it's like on one third of a page and I can get three on a page. There you go. We can all get a dime for each one. So we'll give IMC money. How many people would like to copy? I can't even count. One, two, three, four, Okay. Um, I have a question. Um, it seems you're in exploring this awareness. Um, I find that as you become aware of that um, object that's causing the anger, shall we say, or whatever, it seems to be that uh, the anger no longer controls us and therefore seems to disappear without us necessarily you know, pushing it away. But as your awareness is brought to this um, event, um, the, you become free of the event, the, the reaction, the unconscious reaction to the event. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the length of time that that event is controlling you is shortened. Um, so your anger, as you become aware, well, I'm angry, uh, I, I recognize I always tend to be angry or something like that, that you actually shorten it over a period of time. And suddenly, um, as this occurs over repetitive cycles, mm-hmm. the anger comes and goes almost. Mm-hmm. As your awareness comes to it, it fades. Not that you consciously do it, and I was wondering if you could... Uh, respond to that yeah so um, if if I've understood what you're saying or what your comment was that as we become as we begin to see what's actually happening if it's it's anger that over time and with practice we don't have the same reactivity 
to anger, and so it 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 ends faster. Something like that yeah. is that what you're saying? And I think that's exactly right. Um, the mistake that we make is that if we suddenly see something once, or we we think we've understood something, and then it visits us again or ten thousand more times and catches us, we we sort of think that it wasn't worth anything. But the fact is that once something is seen, it's seen. And that's the seed. And all we have to do is keep watering that seed, and it will bear fruit at a certain point. You know, and this requires practice, and it requires patience, and it's dose-related. So if you do it once or twice, it'll have the effect of once or twice. But if you're willing to do it over and over again um, until it becomes a habit, then you'll have a different um, experience. So one of the things that... um, I I do teach this compassion program. It's a protocol that they they are teaching at Stanford. And they've, they've got neuroscientists that are actually looking at what happens in the human brain when um, people practice meditation, contemplative practices, and in particular when they practice compassion, the quality of compassion. And, you know, as this, this saying, as we think, so we experience life, it's like we create neural pathways based on the way we we deal with our experience. And the default mechanism for the human brain is... Where did did I have it here? The default is aimless activity, restlessness, defensiveness. We have to protect ourselves from the saber-toothed tiger that's going to jump out and eat us. So the mind is constantly surveying, comparing, uh, and this quality of narrative and comparison is the default mode for human beings. So when you practice these practices like meditation, you're creating a different, you're actually creating different neural pathways. And um, the brain changes depending on what kind of practices we do. And so this idea of compassion, the scientists are looking at can it be trained, number one, is it trainable, or are we always subject to just, you know, sort of instinctual kinds of default, the old default way? So is it trainable? And if so, can we make a habit out of it, just like we made a habit out of reactivity? And the answer to that is yes, we can. You see? So as you begin to see anger, and then you see it again, and then you see it again, and then you see it again, you realize that the anger doesn't go away. What has changed is that you recognize it. You recognize that wolf. 
You see, there's a story in Buddhism that on the night of the Buddha's enlightenment, he was sitting under the Bodhi tree and um, in Buddhist, you know, I don't know, I want to call it mythology, but <laughs> what do we call it? <laughs> Buddhist storytelling tradition. Mara came to visit the Buddha, and Mara is the defilements, the kalesas, the obscurations, the torments of mind. And Mara tempts the Buddha with his beautiful daughters, and then he tempts the Buddha with, he tries to scare the Buddha with armies of, and legions of, and in every instant the Buddha responds, I see you, Mara. I see you, Mara. Okay, this is a, it's like the story of the two wolves. It's like, I see anger, and I am not afraid anymore. It's there, but I'm not afraid. I see fear, but I'm not afraid anymore. I see it. It's a beautiful, it's really beautiful when you think about it. So I'll just briefly go back to when I, sat with my aloneness and I finally saw that it was me abandoning myself that was really maybe the source of my feeling of aloneness. You see? Or me abandoning my fear of whatever was expressing itself in being known as aloneness. So... I hope that some of this is useful and, and clear. We are now at 9 o'clock, and I could sit here and talk all night, but I appreciate your kind attention and, and coming, and please come back next week if you feel so inclined. Thank you.